Okay. Welcome to the Weekly Four podcast with Yosef Levenstein and Stephen Mitzner. Do, 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 do. Cheers. Mm. I missed last week because you were very busy in Colorado and didn't have time to record our podcast. It's been a while. Did we record it when you were in New Jersey? Yeah, we did. Uh, I actually don't know if we did one, I think, because I've been back and forth so much. So. Oh, we did it when you were here visiting. Yeah. That's right. Well, I apologize to all of our listeners who I'm sure were devastated by not having an episode last week. Uh, I think it had one play the last episode we did, so. Yeah. But I think it's a listener. <laughs> well, I'm sure they were very disappointed, so I apologize yeah. for my absence. The good news is there's still a lot of things from last week. There were a couple of interesting things we could still talk about, but. Um, uh, that still are probably still appropriate now, so um, it's likely to do too much due diligence for this week. So, and yet we did because that's how we work. We go above and beyond, and we do things right at the weekly four, four podcast. podcast, not the four corner podcast, nope, as we sometimes forget. Correct. It's always no. You know, your podcast is, succe- uh, is successful when you forget its name. Sometimes we just don't get. Distracted and weighed down by the uh, minutia of things. Yeah. Um, so the big thing well, last week was the Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA Finals. Mm-hmm. And um, first time in 50 years that they won it. And they were down 0-2 and then they won four in a row, which is very cool. Who did they beat? Um, they beat the uh, Phoenix Suns. Very good. And was the Phoenix Suns a... the Phoenix Suns? Huh? Nothing. Were the Phoenix Suns... <laughs> Like a underdog or like uh, Phoenix talk- was actually the favorite um, because they didn't know how healthy Giannis Antetokounmpo. I definitely pronounce his last name not hundred percent. Sorry, right. Giannis. Um, they weren't sure he was going to be healthy for the finals, but he played great. And in the last game, he scored fifty points, uh, which is one of the what position does he play? Small slash power forward, but like basketball's kind of become almost positionless. Um, they now have like. Wings go, and forwards, it's, it's really like, uh, it's a different NBA than just having like the five traditional. It's literally, you try to get just the best five players out on the court at once. Which when you think about it, makes sense. Whatever you think that best lineup is, it should be not based on position, but who your best players are. So Giannis, what's amazing about him is even though he's really a small forward, he's seven feet tall. Hmm. <laughs> so he can also guard the other team's center if necessary. So Who's their center? Milwaukee. Brooke Lopez is he the Nets. seven feet tall? Yeah, but really. He wouldn't guard his teammate. Yeah, no, I know, I know. I'm just saying. So they are. Yeah. They have a big center. Yeah, already, and, and they have him who plays a small forward, even though he's like six eleven, seven feet tall. Interesting. And he's amazing. They call him the Greek Freak for a reason. I love Greek food. Yeah, so that was a very impressive one. He had fifty points, and literally afterwards, he literally went and got like chicken nuggets the next day, and made sure he got like fifty pieces. Chicken Nuggets, not 49, not 51, but 50. He was amazing from the foul line, and uh, people in Milwaukee were very happy. I mean, first cha- first championship for the team in 50 years, so it was very... That's where the Green cool. Bay Packers play? They play just north of Milwaukee in Green Bay, huh. Wisconsin. Very cool. So, um, But yeah, the people were very excited, and uh, and what's cool is he's been with the team for eight years. It's not like he like got other players to nice. join him, and... Like and he's constantly talking about how he didn't. He could have gone and formed the super team somewhere, but he wanted to do it in Milwaukee the hard way, and uh, really took digs at like Kevin Durant and LeBron, and it was uh, 
because they went to build super teams Correct. outside of their hometowns. Correct. Um, would you consider the Milwaukee Bucks a super team? No. And no, did he's, they... he's legitimate. They built from the ground up, made the right trades, and him and Middleton have been there for like seven, eight years. Like him, the two best players, like grew together. So very nice. And you said they play, they they work to bring the best five players onto the floor at any given time. Is that sort of similar to like? The Moneyball approach, where you say it's about winning and then it's about runs, and these are look the stats. Right, that's from it. more baseball. Basketball, it's just kind of become positionless because if you're like dynamic enough offensively, even if you are small and give up points, like small, the Rockets really went that were out. Like they had nobody above in their lineup above six seven. Figured they could just outshoot everybody, and it worked until they missed all their shots. But <laughs> theoretically, it was working when they had Chris Paul. Um, and actually, when they had Paul, they had Capella too. They actually had one big guy, which I think is still necessary to have one big guy because if you're shooting stops, you still need somebody who can hopefully do something in the middle to not give the other team easy shots. So, yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, it's become more analytic driven and like all the sports have. So. All right. Well, congratulations to Milwaukee. And more recently, uh, our next topic in terms of champions, Simone Biles, who won four gold medals at the last Olympics and was favored. People thought maybe she could even win six at this one. Pulled out because of mental stress and fatigue. Uh, pulled out of the team competition and pulled out of the all-around. Um, there's still some individual events she could theoretically do, but it's up in the air if she's going to even compete. But um, literally, it's been the front page of the Wall Street Journal was Simone Biles today, which... I think is ridiculous for multiple reasons because um, the Wall Street Journal isn't is a business newspaper and uh, an Olympic gymnasts deciding to pull out of the Olympics is not front page worthy. I wouldn't have a problem with them covering it, but like it's kind of ridiculous. And literally, like the top of each news case, Simone Biles, like yeah, it, it's a big deal. I get it, but in the grand scheme of things of what's going on in the world. Should that be the lead story on every nightly news network? It's kind of ridiculous. So I have mixed feelings about this, but I didn't realize it was on the front page of the Wall Street uh -huh. Journal also. That is upsetting to me because I always viewed the Wall Street Journal as sort of this last bastion of actual journalism. Yeah. Um, you told me USA Today or right. New York Times even, I'd be like, yeah, well, that, that makes sense. Um, yeah, it was on the front page of the journal. It's disappointing. That means they're just like everyone else chasing clicks, which I guess I sort of knew, but I sort of hoped wasn't true. But the other part of it is where I'm really torn about it is I deal with a lot of anxiety and a lot of, you know, whatever, mental health yeah. challenges, right? And, and I think to a certain extent, everyone does. You know, Jordan Peterson talks about how everyone's life is hard. Even the person zipping down the street in their convertible Porsche, like their life is still hard. Like everyone's yeah. life is, is hard. Um, and with this, you know, it's just, it's hard to decipher what's going on. And so I think the approach that my sister and I was talking to her about this, she said, just give them the benefit of the doubt. So let, I'm going to give Simone Biles the benefit of the doubt and say, this is a genuine challenge that was overwhelming her. And yeah. she did well, what I was right it, for her she mental She was literally health. the biggest story going into the Olympics. I mean, the poor girl's been training five years for this. I mean, it's not like she wanted to not compete. Like, um, there's definitely something probably going on mentally there. These gymnasts, the way they turn, all, especially on the vault, they can seriously injure themselves if they're not focused right. 
So, I mean, it makes sense. The, the thing is people are like, using her like, yeah, way to go, like way to stand up for yourself. Like it's an injury, but like we don't be like, oh, way to go. You're sitting out because you have a foot injury. Like treat it as if it's a different, like any other injury. Don't make a hero out of her and also don't be pissed at her because it's an injury like anything else. So I, I think been way too much either martyrdom of her or people pissed at her when it should obviously like everything be somewhere in between and people just feel bad that she's going through something like this but it's actually what you just said i think is one of the best explanations of how to approach this because not to be taken lightly it's an injury you know her safety and health is important obviously and um but it's it's just that an injury and I think it's just one of these stories, like with everything else that the media just sort of piles onto. And it also, one thing that it, it, it sort of irks me the wrong way is that... It got the U.S. Olympic team losing to France off the front page. That helped them. <laughs> but the other thing is, is that... It's basketball. I think also... Um, and the women's uh, water polo team also lost to Hungary. Yeah, that, that people are not... <laughs> <laughs> like, God, how could the water polo team lose? Not to worry, synchronized swimming is still in the running. Um, the synchronized diving is actually really cool. I don't know if you've seen that when they jump off like I've seen it in previous up. years. It's very cool. Like the level of like to try to match like second for second somebody's dive. It's it's very cool. Synchronized swimming less so. I, I think the dives are very impressive. It's all very impressive, by the way. Like, I was right. watching golf. Well, probably curling might be the least impressive. Hey, thing. don't talk poorly about curling. But golf, yes, is very impressive. And, uh, but, yeah, and the other thing to I mean, it's such a, it's a sensitive topic because it's emotional health and, and so that's tricky. But the thing that I was reading, so... Basically, in an interview with Simone Biles, she said something along the lines of, like, it was too much pressure, right? She, right. she felt like she was performing for everyone else and not for herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only issue I have with that is that she's not performing for herself. She's a part of a team, and that team is a national team representing the United States. And so to say there's too much pressure on me performing for everyone else, and I get it, there's for sure other things going on. Um, but that statement bothered me because it's it it's sort of like it's it's a it's a symptom of everything else that's going on in the world right now where everyone wants everything to be for themselves, mm-hmm. but nothing is. We're part of a whether it's a community, a city, a state, a country like that's and I mean, to me that's what was missing. It's literally Generation extent. Me. I mean, it's not surprising. The entire generation. It's all about what's in it best for me. I mean, we see it across all different spectrums about how the loss of community and everybody just looking out for themselves. I'm telling you, I mean, it's been it a was... symptom of society for years, but I feel like it's been highlighted lately. I don't know if it's technology. Michelle know. Obama was actually the first person I heard talk about this. She was doing a pod, she was doing her podcast and in her, her podcast, the first episode, which was the only episode I listened to, um, she interviewed President Obama. Right. And and they were going back and forth and talking about it. And they were talking about the loss of community. And this was in the in the black community. This wasn't right. even about like this was their community. And Not you know even she like the world community. Right? right. And she said you know growing up on the south side of Chicago when she was a kid there was a community. It may right. have been poor. It may have been you know uh, challenged by you know everything going on in the right. country. But there was a community, and that's gone. And this, to me, is another example of that loss of community and people being so focused on themselves. And again, 
for your safety and for your health, you need to do what's right for you. But you're not doing this for yourself. You're doing this for your country. You're doing this, you know, you're doing this for, for your community. You're doing this for your fans. And that's why you're in that position. And to think that it's anything else and that you're performing for yourself, that brings back to the issue, I think. Speaking life, of life, communities life and people looking out for themselves, um, actually, today's the 125th anniversary of the city of Miami. Now, that's exciting. That's a place where people really look out for themselves. Um, they get jiggy with it. Yeah. They buy expensive condos. I mean, the whole real estate market there is on fire. Between Florida's low taxes, low COVID guidelines, everybody just literally fled New York for Miami over the last few years and continues to do so. So it's uh, 120. I mean, what's amazing is like you have some of these cities like 125 years ago, forget about being incorporated, London, Paris. It's really amazing. Sometimes you forget how young America is when some of these countries like Miami, like didn't exist till 125 years ago. That's post-Civil War. So even though the U.S. isn't that old, the first half of the U.S., this, Miami didn't even... Like, it's just fascinating how... Um, what was Florida before Florida it became... Beca- was it U.S.? Was it first Spanish? Um, and then the U.S. became... Spanish or Mexico? It was Spanish. Interesting. And it became a U.S. state um, in, like, 1840s. So 125 years ago is 18... 18- 96 so about 50 years after Florida became state the city of Miami was finally incorporated and guarantee you it did not look like what it looks like now so Florida is a fascinating state though right like I uh, think, they're very, it's very similar to Texas if you think about it so I was gonna and, and I was gonna but I think of Texas I think of like strength power like I don't know I, I think of, of like a you know strong state that's like essentially I mean like its own country I mean and maybe that's just because we live here and so you know you just but when I think of Florida, I think of like a place like Miami that's just like a vacation town. But the truth is, Florida has major military presence, pretty strong economy. They have everything there. You have the number one tourist destination attraction in the entire United States. They don't have oil. They don't have oil. That is. I correct. don't know if they have but any... But it's a big service economy. You also have tons and tons of old people. So you have but tons I don't know if they have any commodities. Doctors. You have medical. It's a big... I mean, Florida is a big service economy. Plus, you have so many people now that can work from anywhere. They all choose to move to Florida because it's great tax things. Mm-hmm. And once you can work from anywhere and do, uh, because of COVID, why wouldn't you move to a state like Florida or Texas where you have a very low tax threshold and it's not freezing in the winter? To be fair, you've been able to freezes. work from... Until it freezes in the winter. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't have a freeze like no, we had. So it's still not as bad. No, um, no I think... Um, also, I mean, a lot of Wall Street is moving, has moved there, is moving mm-hmm. there. Hedge funds are setting up shops there. I don't remember which big bank, but one of the big banks moved their yeah. operations there. Um, so, happy birthday to Miami. Um, I think I realized Getting Jiggy With It was a different song by Will Smith, but... No, I mean, yeah, the other one was I'm Going to Miami, Welcome yeah. to Miami, Party in the City. Party in the City with the... Heat is on. All night and then day till the break all of dawn. All night at the beach until the break of dawn. Yeah, whatever. Oh, yeah, it's all night of the day. Doesn't make sense. Hey, he could have been trying for. Us. So happy 121st, 125th birthday, Miami. And the other crazy thing that happened on today, um, at least, was 45 years ago. The Tangent earthquake, measured between a 7.8 and an 8.2, killed 242,000 people in China. Like, it's probably the worst natural disaster in recent history and yet I don't think I've I've never heard about it until literally just searching what happened today 
And when 242,000 people died, literally, think in September 11th, 3,000 people died? This is a 80 multiple on that from a natural event. I mean, it's kind of crazy when you think about that scale. And I guess because it's China, maybe it didn't get the news coverage, but I mean... Well, for sure didn't back then. Yeah. Back then it was a much more closed society. But 242,000 people from an earthquake is kind of insane. That's pretty scary. And my guess is because it was China and in the 70s, these buildings weren't up to code. And when an earthquake of a 7, 8 to an 8, 2 hits, if your buildings are not built to withstand that, that'll cause, and it looks like, I mean, I've never heard of that province. So it sounds like it probably wasn't one of the wealthy provinces where the buildings were built well. I mean, in China, even the small cities have millions of people in them. I feel, I, I know that Japan gets a decent amount of earthquakes, but are, yeah. I don't even know if earthquakes are all that common in China. But certainly if you're in rural China in the 70s and there's a big earthquake, you're... And again, there were still millions of people in these smaller right. cities that are... So, I mean, it's I mean, just crazy number that I literally... I mean, you'd think it might be maybe the deadliest... I don't know. We have to check this out. Yeah. We have to look for the next one if we remember what is the deadliest natural disasters in history. Well, let's just say in the last 40 years. In the last 100 years, even. Right. 242,000 people. San Francisco, let's say, in the San Francisco earthquake. Not 242,000. There probably weren't even 242,000 people in, in San, San Francisco. Francisco in 1900. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's pretty awful. We can literally check that. It's the amazing thing about having, being living this day and age, literally can just. Google how worst many natural feel. disaster in the last 100 years. Here, let's see. Hey, Google. Oh, wait, I turned off the microphone on that Google. Uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the, the scary. And this, by the way, this is why I just. 3,000 people died in the San Francisco earthquake. That's This but, is an 80 multiple. <laughs> that's insane. And the it's city insane how fast left you did that math. 1906. The. This is why I jumped off of a 20 foot, 25 foot cliff into the water. Because the reality is, you can be walking down the street in Tangshan in 1974 and thinking life is glorious. And <laughs> I don't think many of the people there probably thought life was glorious. That's a fair point. <laughs> You're thinking uh, Chairman Mao is the best. And boom. Boom. Like the earth literally just opens up and you die, right? Okay, so the 10 deadliest natural disasters since 1900, excluding epidemics and famines. That's fair. Uh, 1931 China floods killed between 1 million and 4 million people. Oh. Wow. That's awful. And, but that so was number one? That was number one. And then this Tangshan earthquake, um, um, 242,000 to 655,000 apparently. I don't know if that's just injured, but yeah. So literally, it's definitely the deadliest thing in the last 90 years. Wow. I mean, I was thinking that 242,000 included all the people that probably died Afterwards, but I bet you that six hundred fifty-five thousand is that number actually. Some have said three times that they don't have the making this the, either the third or the second deadliest earthquake in recorded history. Jeez, that's pretty yeah. scary. The lack of warning and four shocks, in contrast to the earlier earthquake, was a principal factor in the casualties. Jeez. Well, see, yet another thing, right? We have all this early warning stuff. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's definitely better it's than definitely helpful. I mean, 227,000 people, you remember the tsunami in 04, the Indian Ocean, 228,000 people died in that. I mean, it's That really, was so scary. Yeah. What's fascinating is, like, in the United, like, 
it seems like it always happens in Asia, I guess. I don't know if it's just the number of people there, lack of preparation or because of the, but it's literally almost all these have happened in China. So, mm. Bangladesh, East Pakistan, back, Bangladesh had a couple of really bad ones. So, very interesting. Well, I had two, well, one key event that, that I thought was interesting that happened mm -hmm. 76 years ago in 1945 when a U.S. Army B-25 bomber crashed into the 79th floor of the Empire State Building, killing 14 people and injuring 26. And what's interesting is, so that's July of 45. The war was over. War ended in, in VE, wait, uh, VE Day was over. VJ Day, I think, is August. So actually, the war in Europe was over, but not the war in Japan. Right. And I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure. So this is literally happening in the middle of like what well, World War II is still going on. And the B-25 was a pretty important aircraft in World War II. It did a lot of the bombing raids. And uh, for the Why United States Why it was Air flying Force. around in Manhattan is a great question. You know, there was so, so much equipment flying around back then especially towards the tail end of the war when like production was at the highest level yeah. and they there was less of a need um but yeah, be, europe was already done yeah and, and yeah, europe v, ve day was in may could have been training who knows what but the crazy thing is is that happened um and september 11th happens 56 years later well and two years uh sorry the year before that no no no, no sorry two years before that in 1943 uh, the British, using B-25 Mitchell bombers, embarked on Operation Gamora, which was when the Royal Air Force bombed Hamburg, mm. causing a firestorm that kills 42,000 German civilians. So that was... And you know what's interesting? I only We were in the World War II Aviation Museum last week, and did you know this whole... The city bombing campaigns were actually by mistake? They, sorry, it started because of a mistake? The Germans bombed London by mistake, mm -hmm. and then the British reciprocated. Right, right, yeah. The, the and then it spiraled out of craziness, and they was just in. Well, they wanted to bomb London, but I don't think they were aiming for the cities. They were aiming for the military installations. Industry, right. and and they totally missed it, and they hit the center of the city and killed a few thousand people. And then the British went back, and then anyway, so B twenty fives crashing into the Empire State Building in forty five and uh, bombing the hell out of Hamburg in nineteen forty three. It was a date in history, July 28th for the B-25 bomber. Um, but, um, yeah, it's um, a pretty crazy, awful day. So, mm. Anyway. Well, and, my, and, by the way, this one on a total downer, and it's Miami's birthday. Yeah. <laughs> well, it depends on how you look at it, so. It's all relative. Speaking about tons of people dying, um, at least, thankfully, finally, a bunch of Republicans were finally coming out as pro-vaccine. You had Mitch McConnell telling people who's the Senate uh, minority leader, telling people to get vaccinated. You had Sean Hannity go on a show. Um, and it was funny, I spoke to somebody today who's really extreme right wing, and he's like, oh, those guys are rhino. They're Republican in name only that they're in like Sean Hannity's in big be in bed with Big Pharma and McConnell it might as well be Chuck Schumer I'm like oh crap it meant nothing so I honestly it doesn't mean nothing but it's going to take a lot more than that to get so many more people in this country vaccinated and 
Um, it's a good first step, but it should have been, I mean, what they need is President Trump to come out and say, get vaccinated, and it should have happened a year ago, and it didn't, and now we're six months ago. Yeah, now but we're even all up a creek. Even if he came out and said something, it's too like no. Six months ago, it wouldn't have been too late. Six months ago, it wouldn't have been too late. Right but now, it would have it's been a game late. changer. Delta might never have happened, but of course, I, I literally think that this simulation we're in is a hey, let's just throw crap to the wall and see how everybody in the world reacts to it. We can't just let the world get back to normal. But in the Matrix, when things were too good, the simulation imploded. This is not too good. Oh uh, so. no, no, no! This is a very stable simulation, but really crappy events happening. So, and now you have people who are now being terrified, even who are vaccinated, if they can be around other vaccinated people. And honestly, if you're vaccinated, even if you get this uh, Delta variant, you are not dying. And honestly, the whole point of the vaccine was so you won't die. And kids, luckily, thank God, are not getting affected by this man-made thing called COVID. And um, and I'm I'm I I think that everybody should go get vaccinated. I think all these healthcare systems. I think we should probably try to mandate every profession that people be required to be vaccinated in order to work. Because I think it's going to be the only way we get there. You know the um, so. Again, I'm going to pile onto the media because they're just the worst. Even though it's important and we need to have free media in this country and everywhere yeah, in the, the world. The problem is the free media is just all about going to the extremes in order to try to get the most watch, views, clicks. So, so I'm so exactly. And, and so I was looking on, uh, I, I use Apple News because I'm an Apple fanboy. Um, and, you know, one of the headlines was CNN's something about you know children and COVID, right? And it was literally minutes after when we were at your place and you said something about like, the kids aren't getting COVID. And the headline was like- No, no, not that they're not getting COVID, they're not getting very sick from COVID. Children are increased, hospitalization of children doubles in Arkansas yeah, or something like, ridiculous. Yeah, 1% place. to 2 like, It went from 12 to 24. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. In the that state is of doubling, Arkansas. But it's that is doubling, but yes. they do know how to do math at CNN, I will tell, I will, but I will give credit not, for that. Yes, but just trying to scare the crap out of people. And, I, and by the way, I read the article. How many people think no. you read that no, article? They just Most look at the headline and then get terrified. And then, and then like, they're going to tell their friends, in Arkansas, all the kids are getting COVID. Oh, no, they'll just say it's happening nationally. They'll take that and, and think it's happening in every state. Arkansas, like almost nobody's, va it's like 40%. It's like, I think the number one least vaccinated state in the country. Yeah, and by the way, I don't think they have the worst Delta. Yeah. I was reading, like, there was, but anyway, so, I mean, it's just, it's so ridiculous. And the other part of it, going back to morality and community, is like, I just don't understand. I, I, this is one of these things which I think is like a societal thing of this distrust in the government. And there's horrible people in the government, just like there's horrible people in the police force, just like there's horrible people. There's horrible people in, in everything. You in, take a large enough group of people, you'll find bad people in 350 million people in this country, right? Like, of course, right. there's going to be horrible people in it. But at the end of the day, the people at the CDC and the people in the, you know, that are doing this, they're, they're trying to protect and keep people alive. Yeah. They're doing the best they can. People need to stop distrusting so much. D make informed decisions. I'm all in favor right. of that. But like, you know, like, I, I, it's just so frustrating. And by the way, as bad as the media is, I have friends that send me these articles about horrible things that are happening and how scary COVID is or how scary the vaccine is. 
and these these websites that they're sending them from look so legitimate. But once right. you start, I, and I know how to look at this, break them down in three minutes, you can see how yeah. it's not a reputable source. Yeah, they're dis, they're distorting facts statistics and, and facts. stats yeah. and whether they're doing it because they have an agenda or they're doing it because they want to scare people or they're doing it because they want clicks for ad revenue, whatever it is, it's horrible because most people look at it and say, this is a nicely designed website. It looks pretty reputable. They're quoting, they're quoting reputable sources, but they're not. Yeah. Or if they are, they're completely distorting them. Um, and, and so, you know, grateful that Mitch McConnell and others are coming up, but it's so late in the yeah. game. And it just pisses me off because it's just like, not everything needs to be political. And so often things yeah. that don't need to be political are and made vaccinations political. should not be political. It should not be political. Like obviously there's anti-vaxxers. That's something completely yeah, separate. Yeah, but that's that's like a normal like two percent of the country. Right. This is people coming now, out. This is like 35 percent. This is literally, and my guess is if you did a poll of Republicans versus Democrats who are vaccinated who are above the age of 21, it's probably like 80% of Democrats and like 35% of Republicans. It's like insane. The only reason, so I went to look on the CDC website for all the different um, distributions of what they've defined as hotspots because I was right. like, if they've only highlighted like Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, right. Kansas, like I'm like, this is going to be bad. Fortunately, or quotation marks, fortunately, New York, California, like New York County, Los Angeles County, yeah. they're in the mix of these right. things. So at least they made sure, I mean- Because what, it's not just the far right Republicans too, you also have a lot of people in the African American and Hispanic community that just mm -hmm. don't trust the government for other reasons that are also um, doing this. So it's not just pure political because they, most of them do not vote Republican, yeah. um, but and are also not getting vaccinated. It's fascinating and um, so. But that goes back to distrust in the government. Yeah. It's it's just it's just a shame. Um, it's a shame because we had this good momentum going of yeah COVID emerging, yeah. you know going maskless and stuff. And Although honestly, I think most people are done with it anyway. Um, what? You have a, I think you have only about ten to fifteen percent of people who are literally going to be like, man, I, we got to go back to what it was. I, I think almost everybody is just kind of fed up with it. No lockdowns, but masks are going. No, be yeah, masks. But I mean, yeah, the lockdowns didn't work. Yeah. Keeping kids home from school didn't work. It made things horribly bad. Um, I just, you know. And it led to a lot of mental illness. It led to a lot of depression. It abuse. Lot, yeah. Just and a lot of bad stuff that's not even. It was. That, yeah. yeah. It was one of those things like the, the weakest got hit the hardest because you had poor children yeah. that were depending on their public school meals. For breakfast and lunch. Yep. And they lost it. Yeah. It just, I mean, you don't get any, that, that's, that is literally probably the weakest layer of society. Yeah. Poverty and children. And, and anyway, so awesome. yeah, I don't think anyone's going back to, hopefully we're ne never going back to that unless it's absolutely necessary, which hopefully never happens. Yeah. Um, but masks. But speaking of kind of, um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Masks are coming back into vogue. Yeah. Unfortunately. Although, yeah. Although I do think it's kind of ridiculous that if there are two vaccinated people in a room together, like I understand in schools because not everybody might be vaccinated, but yeah. if there are people vaccinated in a room together, like they shouldn't have to wear a mask. It, it's yeah. whatever. It's oh, I'll, I'll leave my CDC 
I'm being pressured into into kind of their decision making for a different time. So we could do but it. We it was about that next also week. would have been um, last week when we were supposed to do the podcast. It would have been Robin Williams' seventieth birthday. So uh, one of the all-time great comedic geniuses. I do, this is now under our random fourth and final uh, uh, weekly four. Um, he would have been seventy, and I was just thinking about how. You never know what's going on in somebody's head. And apparently, also he might have had like a Louis body dementia, I think, and a lot of other stuff happening. And um, and it's just it's it's kind of sad how you have all, a lot of these geniuses who just have taken from us too soon. So I'm also, you know, he always seemed very youthful, right? And to hear that he would have been seventy, like that, that's also pretty pretty nuts. But I, I think I mentioned this on a different episode of um, our weekly four that great creativity comes from a place of sadness. So or madness. Like craziness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it doesn't surprise me. And one of my favorite comedians in the world is Conan O'Brien. Genius Bryan. comes, I think, from either sadness or madness. Yeah. But comedy typically comes from sadness. Right. And and Conan O'Brien, who I think is one of the funniest people, he's written for The Simpsons. He had a talk show for 25-plus yeah. years. Hilarious guy. But every now and then on his podcast, he'll talk about like that he battles depression. He battles anxiety. And when he talks about performing, like he... That's like his outlet. And then he has this need for like affirmation from the audience. And when he doesn't get it, it's when he gets it, it's like a drug. When he doesn't get it, it's right. devastating. Um, and so, you know, Robin Williams was a comedic genius. Yeah. He was hilarious. Whether it was his stand up, Mork and Mindy, Mrs. Doubtfire, Hook. Yeah, there's there's no shortage. Good morning, Vietnam. I mean, there's no shortage of. And then you have something like Patch um, Adams. And then, but then you go to the other time, which like good other side, Goodwill Hunting. Right. Or he did he did a Holocaust Trump. movie. Uh, yeah. Jacko, Jock, Jock, the comedian. He was right. like a clown. He was so amazing, and like you know, I guess maybe it's just as you get older, these things happen. But you know, Steve Jobs, Robin Williams, you know these these amazing characters that were formidable parts of our lives growing up. Yeah, they, they you know they get just taken away too soon for different yeah. tragic reasons, and it's it's really yeah. I mean, John. Really I mean, you can go. I mean, you look at the some Saturday Night Live cast: John Belushi and Chris Farley and Phil Hartman and. Thought that was more tragic than than John Candy. John Candy, although John Candy was, I think, from being unhealthy. But uh, again, why was he? Yeah, but so was Chris Farley, and so was Belushi. Chris Farley was substance abuse. Well, I mean, food is a substance. I've said that before. So you know, whether John Candy was addicted to drugs or food, like it killed him. And yeah, Chris Farley. Chris Farley, by the way, I mean, talk about tragedy. Yeah, you know, he was such a tragic story. And I mean, these guys literally thirty-three years old. Him and Belushi, the same exact age. 33? Yeah. That's how young they were? Yeah. It, they just, you know, it's fun. It's crazy because, like, it seemed like they were so... Much older, right? That they yeah. lived a lot longer because they were so... 33? Young. Pretty sure. Wow. Are you confirming? No, I'm looking. So, you know, the one that always comes to me is, whenever we talk about this, is Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park. Oh. 
Um, Lincoln Park is probably one of my favorite bands, and, and I actually regret never having seen them live. And I don't know how many regrets in my life, and that's one of them. Um, but yeah, like, she was 33. Yep. So Chester Bennington was. He was born in 76 and died in 2017. So he was, what, 41? Yep. And, okay, so he was, but, you know, he was this unbelievable musician. And I always listen to Lincoln Well, Park. yeah, their songs are really dark. Well, it's so crazy because I never really grasped how dark they were until after he died. And I listened to them again. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, this guy was crying for help. Um, and that was when it really also hit me that great art comes from a place of darkness and so it's not just comedy by the way like even when you look at artists painters right the yeah. most successful painters very often had a lot of darkness in their lives it's it's somewhat More crazy well van gogh cut off his own half of his yeah, own yeah but was that craziness or was he like sad about something or you know i i think i think they're almost two sides of the same coin in a certain way mm -hmm. but it's just um it's just it's just at the end of the day, it, it's it's. I don't know it's if the really word is ironic. Podcast this week. I don't know if it's like. Well, no, but it's not necessarily. I don't. I don't. Ironic may be the wrong word. It's ironic that to create beautiful things, you need to be in such a dark yeah. place. Well, I don't think you need to be. I think there are people who are creative that also aren't like that. But I think it may, it may be. I think it's more common. I'm sure that there are people who are well adjusted that create. Like Spielberg is probably a directorial. I mean. You, uh, there are people who are other incredible in their field that may not have this. Maybe. Find so, me them. What? We should find some examples of people that are truly... The problem is nobody knows. You can never know. Everybody has issues and everybody has the things. So who's to say? The guy in the Porsche that's driving down the street thinking about crying. That's literally Jordan Peterson's example. Is you see the guy driving down the street in his Porsche convertible... And you think to yourself, oh, that lucky bastard. But in reality, that guy is thinking about how he can wrap his... Then this is Jordan Peterson says this. He's like, but in reality, that person may be thinking about how they can crash their Porsche into a lamp and just end it all. Like, it's possible, right? Yeah, nobody knows. That's... So, you know, Warvin Williams, God, he was amazing. And it's super sad. And to think of, you know, what else he could have created in the time that he, he lost. But... At the same time, hopefully... And he got more years than a lot of the other people we mentioned, so... I mean, at the same time, though, he also, in his death, I think he brought to the forefront some things about, you know, mental issues. And yeah. I guess to a certain extent, look, Simone Biles, like, she's doing the same thing. Um, and it's sort of like, hopefully it's... it's Not hopefully, but... No, like, I think the stigma is definitely lessening around mental health and things like this definitely help it. Um but it's like everything in life. It takes time for society to kind of accept things and, and different breaks. I mean, think about where we are with the LGBT community versus 30 LGBTQ. years ago. LGBTQ. Correct. Plus. Plus. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, again, sometimes it goes a little bit too far in one direction and too far in the other direction. But you're right. The... Um, these World. things are important. And Robin Williams, maybe, you know, if he had been able to share more openly his issues he was having. Well, Although I think he, he also, yeah, no, but I think he also had, like, literally, like, dementia. And I think they did a stuff, like, it was it was bad. Yeah. Um, and I think he was diagnosed already, apparently. So I think his suicide was kind of, 
he didn't want to live kind of knowing what was on its way to happening to him. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and on a happier note, or everything's almost happy. Did we have this any discussion. good news in this episode? Well, well yeah, well, Bucks. there are 370 mile an hour trains that are being developed, high speed trains in, in I think, China. China. Um, and after taking Amtrak twice this past week and four hours from New York to Boston, and, and if there wasn't traffic, you could basically drive in the same amount of time. Four it's like, hours. That's yeah. Not, well, honestly, it's still more relaxing than driving because you can just relax and be on your computer and do whatever you want and not be like worrying about driving. Were you comfortable? Yeah. I just, that's still pathetic. Because, yeah, but by it's the way, ridiculous. There's no you reason. Think, you think on this 370 mile per hour train, they're not comfortable in using their Wi-Fi? Oh, of course. Yeah, and and 370 miles an hour, probably from New York to Boston, is probably one hour. I mean, you cut that trip in fourth. If Less. the United States could have, you think that train you were on was going 100 miles an hour? No, probably about 70 or 80. You're right. So, um, it's probably a 5x even. Yeah. Um, but so maybe it's it's 40 minutes. That's crazy. But it, it's it's. It would make the United States also um, so much more easy to transverse, and you wouldn't have to rely on air travel. You take so much pressure off the airlines also if you had 370 mile an hour um, trains. Because again, if you're going from New York, if you're going from Boston to DC, you can take Amtrak and it'll take you seven hours, or you can take a flight and it will take you one hour. Yeah. So which one would you rather do? Now, if you're going 370 miles an hour, you can do it in probably an hour 20. And you go from middle of the city to middle of the city in an hour 20. It's a game changer. Totally. And. Especially where cities are so much closer bunched together over there. Like Houston to Florida is like a thousand miles. If you go, but probably um, to Orlando is I think like 965 miles. But you're going, that's direct over the um, Gulf of Mexico. But even if you go around, it's probably... 1200 miles if it was a three hour train ride from houston to florida it's also a game changer because people would be like oh okay you'd have better price competition between airlines and trains it would just be a giant win for our society also i mean this what this train in china i mean is it it's not for it's that maglev thing. it uses so it's electric yeah so you have a nuclear reactor or solar or it's wind magnets. or whatever it's powering that right. thing and so because by right. the way it would it would planes, be a huge carbon offset to all airplanes planes which are, give off a significant amount of pollution yeah um jet fuel is extremely expensive, expensive. yeah um, yeah i mean if you could have 370 mile an hour maglev trains in the united states it's, it's a game changer but the united states doesn't spend nearly enough money on infrastructure because it's somewhere very far down on the list and republicans and democrats can't agree on it and People here don't want to be taxed. Although I did see something. I didn't read it. I only saw the headline. But it seems like either the Senate, it said, the headline said the Senate voted to take on infrastructure or spending or something like that. Yeah. I don't know if the not, passed, Unfortunately, but. it's not to get us 370 mile an hour maglev trains. It's basically to fix what's currently broken in this country. No good. Band-Aids. We need more Band-Aids. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that in the United States for some reason, I mean, fortunate and unfortunate, Hopefully, private enterprise will pick up on it and hmm. be able to execute on it. But well, if you rely on the train, U.S. government for this stuff, we'll be here another 100 years. The Houston-Dallas bullet train is private. Yeah, because that's the only way these things are getting done. 
Yeah, but that also is pretty limited. Like, you have to get... To and get, even that... By the way, the, the original trains were all private, right? That bullet train is like 180 miles an hour. It's like half that speed, I think. But that's still better. 160, but yeah, but... The, the, the railroads, like... Back in the 1850s, day when it, yeah. Yeah. Transcontinental Railroad, 1869. That was private companies that did it. 1869. Um, I think it was like a public, private, like I think the government gave them the land for it. It was definitely, I definitely I think was more government help. You'd have to look it up, but it was, yes. Because here's the thing, right? But the, Amtrak is, Amtrak's the government. The pa- right. Amtrak's not private. The passenger, the problem is also the passenger rails. Because from what I could tell, Union Pacific is moving insane amounts of cargo. Oh, heavy cargo. Yeah. For heavy cargo, there's still kind of So the, the railroads works for that. Yeah. Right. So you have... But I mean, if you still, you can move it. F- I mean, it's... Yes. It's these, these maglev trains are way more for passenger. Right. But the, and the reason I'm bringing because it up... Because you're not nearly... The cargo's not nearly in a rush to get there as people No, 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 no 100%. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because I'm thinking... If you think about cargo, people are cargo at the end of the day, right? So the probably yeah, the most Yeah, but they're talking cargo who don't want to be sitting on the train for sure. For but the most expensive way to move cargo is by air, right? Then it probably goes to truck. Then it goes to ship. Then it could, well, no, my truth is ship may actually be more expensive than trucks or trains and then trucks. So it's sort of like, there are all these different ways to move cargo. And, um, but trains, when you see these trains that are moving in between the cities in the United States, and, and when I was in Colorado, we saw all these driving on the tracks between, in the middle of Colorado, these trains are miles long, carrying who knows how many cars, right? And the reason I bring this up is because I don't know the answer to this, and I'm sort of curious about it, but does, let's say, that train that you're talking about from, from you know, this maglev, right? Yeah. How many passengers does it take? And is it more than an airplane? And whether or not it's more, if it's comparable it's even. Def- it's definitely comparable, I'm sure. Then, because I, I was just on Amtrak today, and there was pro- um, when I went up to Boston, probably be the same. It's probably about 40. Per- it's, a, it's definitely comparable. It's, it may even be a little more. It might have about 240 passengers, 260. It's, it's a very way safe more, by the way. That's a 747 has around 300, or if it's crammed, like almost 400 passengers, I think. Right. So, so this is this is almost as big as a jumbo. And imagine having a jumbo jet flying every hour between Boston and New York. Every can, hour, you could do it every 20. I mean, if really people took it, you could do it every half hour, or 20 minutes. I mean, it's it's. Um, it's it, such a I'm, shame. I'm hoping yes. And China, one of it's one of the few benefits of being in a country like that is they can spend the money on whatever you want and you but have Japan no say in has it. bullet trains also yeah but again they're half the speed i think well i think they're about 170 180 mile an hour maybe 210 i think they max oh, so out at 370 this is 370 this, this is saying this is a whole other level yeah. you're saying yeah now because at 370 between takeoff and landing you're now competing really with the airlines yeah because again, even though flying cruising speed on airplanes is about 560 miles an hour, between the takeoff and the landing, the boarding and the... So, by the way, I took it, I don't know how these train stations get away with having so much of a lackluster security compared to airports. I have no idea. Nobody, we didn't go through a metal detector. <laughs> Our bags weren't checked. I don't understand. I mean, it's a giant soft spot compared to the airlines. Like. After me and Stephanie were like, she was like, well, don't we have to go through security? I'm like, you literally show up 
10 minutes before your train, you get on it. It's kind of like what airports were before September 11th, and then September 11th happened. So to me, I don't know why, but train stations have not gotten to the same level, and it's kind of scary. You know what I'm going to say? What? In Israel, the train stations have full security. Yeah. When I took the train from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv, you showed up. You waited in line. They x-rayed your bags. You went yeah. through a metal detector. I don't um, know how that's not a and, thing. And you. that wasn't just in the Jerusalem station. I was in the, some random town, and I was going to go take a train. Oh, it's every station. You every have to. Every train station. I Israel. don't know how it's not how a thing yet in the United States, and God forbid that something should happen, but I mean, I don't know how eventually it doesn't. Yeah, but, that's, that's definitely scary. I mean, that's true for many places, but... Um, but no, but it's a mass transit... I was thinking even going to the Galleria. Yeah, the but... The fact that it's so open is, is pretty... Right, but pretty at the same scary. time, if somebody c- can crash... Now, I guess trains is different than airplanes. You, it's If somebody takes over the train, they probably can't crash into buildings or the Pentagon or... Right. Um, it's a lot. I mean, but you can go off rails and you still have 300 people on these trains. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and or, Penn or Station... station. Penn Station has got tons and tons of people before COVID were in there. So uh, I'm really... Um, were you in Penn Station? No. We went from um, New Jersey. We went from Newark on the way there to Boston. And then the way back, we went from Boston to um, a smaller station, Metro Park in New Jersey. So I wonder, we were Penn Station. Uh, I wonder what Penn Station is like now. Apparently, they redid it. It's supposed to be nicer. No, but I mean, sure. like way in terms more of like crowds. Yeah, way, way less. I was at a conference and there was like 20 to 25% of the normal attendance. And this was a hospitality conference where people are like, oh, we should get excited. I mean, we had a couple of people cancel their meetings on us because of COVID. One because their kid got COVID. Another one because they were just nervous about Delta so they didn't fly out there. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. So, Well, I told you my thought on conferences. They become... They're going to be, they need to be a lot more exclusive and a lot more focused. So it's less people, higher cost. I know that's not good, but. That's no, a, no, the higher cost is helpful. Yeah. So, well, well I thank you for downing the uh, 370 mile per hour exciting news with uh, terrorist attacks and, uh, and COVID. But it is pretty cool that they're going to, I mean, I, I would be very curious to see what the world looks like at that speed at ground level. No, yeah, not a that's very cool, which is a great example. But I will also say at the same time, um, hopefully if China gets it done, it can spur private development of the same thing here. Because normally, again, if anybody, it's the nice thing about America, if somebody thinks they have an idea that can literally make them a lot of money, there will be people lined up to give them the money to try to make more money. So hopefully somebody will be able to pull it off here. The problem is finding, getting land to lay down that track in the United States if you're going to lay new track, which is probably almost impossible. Um, but it, it's... Well, that's been the challenge with the Houston-Dallas line. Yeah, you got to find... you got to you got to commandeer land between all the way. Uh-huh. I mean, the thing that makes the most sense is to do it along the highway system because that's already land you have. You do it literally in the middle of I-45 all the way down or I-10. Yeah. Sorry, it's between Houston and Dallas is I-45, so... Yeah, something like that. But it's a ser- I mean, you know, do you know why? I went. I, mean, I saw this years ago. The reason they never invested in the trains was because the cars were supposed to be the great American 
Well, and that's yeah. why they invested in the interstates. Well, the other thing is if eventually people have flying cars that can get them to about 200 or 225 miles an hour that are automated, you ever get to flying cars, I mean, how much do you need these trains? But the technology is not here yet for flying cars. Yeah. Um, and it's, technology is here for these 370 mile an hour trains. So it's going to be very interesting to see how kind of transportation evolves over the next 50 years. I mean, which hopefully we'll both be able to see in our lifetimes. I hope so. I mean, the other possibility, once, you know, I think part of the limitation on speed of cars is less engineering and more the human factor. Yeah, but if you get rid of the human factor because right, of so automated, I mean, they're already working on self-driving cars. You can't think that self-flying cars have to be too much well, in the but, distant future. But my, so what I was getting at, though, is to say, let's just say these self-flying cars can drive 200, fly 200 miles an hour, right? Right. Would you rather that or would you rather an autonomous car that can drive at 200 miles an hour because it's in sync with all the cars around it and so... You'd have the same thing when, you, when you'd fly. But why fly then? Why fly in the air? Mm-hmm. Way more airspace than road space. Congestion. Yeah, but again, if all the cars are in perfect... Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think that's... I often be- wonder about this. How much of traffic is caused because of an accident or a stalled car or something? Right? Like... In other words... How much if, of it is just because of too many if, people? Right. I, and, and so right. if everyone in the morning that was driving, was in, their cars were all in perfect synchronization. So yeah, but you're going to have to allow people a little bit of a manual override. And it's it, it, I, to think that accidents will be not happening at all. No, I'm not saying not happening at but all. But yeah, if you take them down by 90%. And you say, you know, the cars are driving themselves. They're all in communication with each other. So they all know each other's positions. And they're all taking into account all the other cars in the county, let's just say, that are using, or or the cars. Or within a five-mile radius. Or even the cars. By the way, it doesn't even matter because you can say the person in, in suburb, you know, 50 miles away, the car knows that they have the same schedule as all these other people that leave at the same time for work. Like... In other words, you don't necessarily need flying cars. It's just, you just need things to be a little bit more synchronized. I want my flying cars from Back to the Future, my friend. So you want a DeLorean with wheels that turn into some sort of hoverboards? That sounds awesome. Sign me up. I don't know if the physics of that even are possible. That's something else to look into. Is there any realm of real physics that can say a DeLorean with jet Wheels. Yeah, I don't think it's there physically no possible. I guess you don't need the wings if the lift comes from the yeah, the lift comes from the bottom. I saw, I saw an is an Israeli startup company that literally had a giant fan in front of like an ambulance that literally just could lift off the ground. I mean, it's basically like instead of having helicopter propulsion on the top, it's kind of a giant fan at the bottom that does propulsion. There's already stuff out there. It's whether or not you can make it efficient and how. I mean, right. And, right, and not needing a pilot's license to do a, a flying car. I mean, there's a lot um, of... Doc Brown have like a nuclear reactor in the back of his DeLorean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, classic. Oh, whatever. You know what? You can stick to your... But I, I'm more of a aspiring for the Star Trek technology. That. Oh, just to cool beam tech. your body from place to place? That'd be helpful. Yeah. Or uh, the... Um, well, the holodeck was amazing. And also the, uh, whatever it's called, the 3D printer. 
where you have 3D printers. No, I know, but what did they call it in, in whatever, you know, they had the thing where you could literally say, I'd like a cup of coffee and it just go and create a cup of coffee. I've only seen like one or two episodes. Ah, of next Generation? The original. Oh, no, The Next Generation is the bomb. Patrick Stewart. The Next Generation. <gasps> it's on Netflix. There's so much... That this part of also the problem in our country. There's so much our world. Yeah, there's so much, like now, literally, like unlimited amount. Like, if you were on a desert island and you had a Netflix and an Amazon Prime subscription, you could probably go the rest of your life without, if you just watch stuff, and be fine. Yep. I mean, there's so much content. It's insane. Yep. And people, like, too many people waste so much time. Like, literally, it's. There is, it's funny, I was watching My Unorthodox Life on Netflix. Oh, how was that? Uh, sickening, parts sickening, parts interesting. Y you should watch the first episode. What bothered me the most was everyone on social media when it came out blabbering about it, so maybe not interested in seeing it. It's worth, I think it's worth seeing just like, I mean, the woman is sickening from, but nothing to do with her not being religious anymore. Just from her personality type and... Negative? <laughs> Yeah, and, and basically casting aspersions on everybody else <sighs> who it still is. Like, you want to do you, fine, but don't, like, don't, uh, and, and telling untruths about, like, she's like, oh, I was never allowed to dance or sing, which is not true. She just wasn't allowed to do it in front of men. Right. Like, and honestly, like, she's like, I never got to ride a bicycle. Apparently, like, somebody said to dig rope, she rode a bike all the damn time. Like, so, I mean, it's reality television, and granted, I do understand leaving that world, but you don't media. have to constantly like, yeah. It's it's worth watching like the first two or three episodes. I'd rather watch Tom Segura. Oh, I'm not saying it's quality television, but in terms of just seeing kind of what Judaism is being portrayed, there are people who are worried it's going to create a cause in anti-Semitism. Um, uh, that bothers me. The people that hate Jews are going to continue hating Jews, and everyone else will either be indifferent or friend or fans of the Jews. Um, but there's so much else that I would consider wanting to watch that I don't have You should watch, to watch it with Tanya, though. It's something you could watch together. Because I think she'd be fascinated by it also. We watched, uh, what was that other movie? This, no movie, the series. I don't know. About the girl that moves to Berlin. Oh. Uh, was that unorthodox? Unorthodox. Yeah, by the way, could they... they that's also frustrating. When when everyone started talking about this, I'm like, is everyone talking about unorthodox? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, very oh, original title. There's another show coming out that talks about how horrible orthodox, orthodox Judaism yeah. is. Yeah, I haven't seen all the shows are like um, my uh, Mus my unmuslim life and leaving like like uh, I haven't seen them wanting to highlight all the people leaving fundamentalist Islam. No, they don't care. That's the thing. Then people don't care. And it's, yeah, whatever. It's upsetting. But um, I think to say, oh, this is going to cause anti-Semitism is a bit silly. Yeah. And in terms of actually spending the time to watch it, is it a series or it's a movie? No, it's, it's like a first season is like 10 episodes. <laughs> I Like I said, watch the first one or two. But like the end of the episodes are so like you could care less what's going to happen in the next one that you could literally watch one at 50 minutes and, not, and be like okay like I saw like one or two episodes I could care less if I never see another episode again I just wanted to see it so like 
I didn't just read all the nonsense that people were posting online, but like I was like, okay, let's. You see agree how about bad this the social is. media? It was ridiculous. Yes. On... Yeah. Anyway, <sighs> it's getting late. We are going to end our podcast with that. This is going into territory. Whenever we're talking about reality shows, it's kind of. Uh, we talk about done. the real and wor- we have a maximum sixty minutes, so cool. we have nineteen seconds. Can left. we talk about Perfect. the real world on our next episode? Whatever you like. <laughs> For Yosef Levinstein and Stephen Mitzner, this is the end of the podcast. Thank you.